and welcome to Explore, the University of Exeter's podcast where we meet people from right across our community. My name is Jo Cole and I'm joined today by Millie Johnson, who's a best-selling author and a graduate from the university. Welcome, Millie. Great to see you today and to chat to you. Oh, it's lovely. I, it's, it's a delight to be here. I wish I were in Exeter myself physically, you know, rather well, here in my town soon. That'd oh, be yes. great to see you there. I was going to start by just uh, going through a few of your statistics, if that's all right. Yeah, sure. So you've got 19 best-selling novels and you've sold more than 2 million books worldwide. So you've done five novellas, one book of poetry. In the past year, your books have been borrowed from libraries more than 200,000 times. And in 2020, you received an Outstanding Achievement Award from the Romantic Novelists Association. Yeah. Fantastic set of achievements, aren't they? It's not bad, is it? Not bad for a Barsley girl, no. <laughs> That's great. And your new book or latest book is called The Woman in the Middle, and that was released in October. Right. And you've also got the Christmas paperback version that's doing really well in the charts, which is called I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day. And I'm part way through that. I'm really enjoying that at the moment. And that's gone up through the charts as well, hasn't it? And yeah, selling. Sorry, it's gone a bit bonkers. Yeah. Of copies. I just wondered for, for the people who are listening and watching today, whether you could just tell them a little bit about I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day and what the what the premise of the story is without any spoiler alert. Oh, yes. I, I, I'm very good at avoiding spoilers by now. It's, um, it's a very simple story. It's a very small cast, an ensemble cast for a change, because um, I usually have uh, quite a, a large... Um, a cache of, of characters but um, this one um, is just about six people who are all going to various places in the UK when they they get wrong-footed by um, a, a snowfall uh, the which the forecasters have have failed to tell anybody about and they have to hole up in this inn on the North Yorkshire Moors um, thinking that they'll only be there for you know maybe the night but the snow gets worse and then they realise that they might have to spend Christmas in this place together. And so they have to either, you know, um, moan about it or roll up their sleeves and throw themselves into Christmas with whatever that they can find around them. Um, rather oddly, this whole book started to play out in real life last month when um, on the national news there was a, a place on the North Yorkshire Moors called Tan Hill. And all the, the people were, were snowed in. It was, it, you know, my sales had a, had a second wind through, through this. It was, it was great. It was the stuff of dreams, you know. They were probably all sitting there reading your book to keep them going <laughs> while they were stranded up there. Because isn't that the highest pub or something in the It is, UK? yes. yes it yeah. Is. yeah, it's the place where you go if you want to be snowed in, I think. Um, yes. And uh, I, th I think next year, if there's any hint of snow in the weather forecast, I think it'll be full to the gills with people hoping that they, they would be snowed in. So normally they're sort of quite often with authors and I do a bit of writing myself. You'll see something like that in the news and you'll think, oh, that'll make a great story. But it's almost like you've done the opposite. You've yes, got the story and it's happened in real life. But I just wonder what it was that gave you the idea for that book. It, I'll be honest with you, it was the title. Uh, I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day, I thought was a cracking title for a story and I needed to write a book and grab that title before anybody else grabbed it. 
But so the title, I took, the title came first and the story. And originally I was kind of writing it, so some Brigadoon kind of thing where um, it's a, a strange place that where it really is Christmas every day. But, you know, it, it was taking it was taking me out of realism and into fantasy and it didn't feel right. And I think had I written this book at any other time, it wouldn't have been the book it is. I wrote it last January. Um, the first draft just poured out of me. I'd lost my father um, in uh, in the, the previous month. And um, my, uh, so I hadn't done any of the book whatsoever. And I was very late with it. And my, the publishing team went, take the time off. You know, well, we can do this next year. But I needed somewhere to put all this kind of negative energy that I had. It, it wasn't a good energy, but I also wanted to cheer myself up. It was part therapy, part um, uh, writing this story, which has a lot of father stuff in it. Also, um, I hold a, an auction for charity every so often. And the guy who would won the auction um, to name a character in my book wanted uh, his father put into the book. So that fitted really well my father, his father, he owned a scone factory in Barnsley. They produce a million scones a day. And I thought, I've got to put this scone factory in as well. So it was all kind of factors that wafted into, um, into my arena that formed the story. Uh, and as I say, had I not, had I written it at any other time, it wouldn't be the book it was. And I think it's the best thing I've ever written. And it's it's had a weird kind of, I'll say energy again, a very positive energy that's come out of it, where even Tan Hill, you know, um, my kind of life imitating art, it's been the gift that kept on giving. It's, it's had a real strange magical quality about it. And as, as writers, we will we'll have, we'll write books and, and think, oh, this is good, because we have to think everyone is good, but occasionally we'll get a book and we think, whoa, there's something really a bit odd and spooky about this one. And this is this is one of those that um, there's just something very odd about it, but in a delightful way. And I'm very, very glad that the form it took was the was the was the right one for the book. And I suppose we we're in the middle of lockdown last January, weren't we? So did that obviously play a part? So you've got no, no, it, it didn't because this was written pre-lockdown. Ah, sorry. So it was written pre-lockdown. We there was absolutely nothing on the horizon to say that we would be locked down, and the rule of six as well that came in, um, right. because the public and we the, the tagline was you know this Christmas will be different, so we'll make it special. All that was was pre uh, pre lockdown and and you know pre COVID panic. So. There was um, a kind of worry, I think, with the publishers, uh, a worry and an excitement and an adrenaline rush that this could either kill my career or make it. Because did people want to read about people being locked down and not being able to get out? But as it happened, it, it worked perfectly. As I say, yeah. there was all that going on. It was uh, ooh, strange stuff, but, but fantastic, you know, fantastic. Yeah. Brilliant. Excellent. And it's really sort of caught on and massive sales and up the charts and, and so on and so forth. So it's obviously hit a really good um, nerve yeah. as well, isn't it? It has, I'm very proud of it, you know, I'm very proud. Excellent, good, so you should be. 
One thing I noticed fairly early on was a little tiny mention of going to Exeter in that. And I it just sort of oh, yes. my next question. Yes. I just wondered what your experience was at Exeter and, and has that sort of helped shape your career in any way? I'll be perfectly honest. When I went to Exeter, I was a bit like a fish out of water. I was this kind of northern chick with a bit of a chip on the shoulder um, going to quite a, you know, an illustrious university. I didn't realise that I was the first person in my family that had ever gone to uni. And um, I picked the wrong course. I, uh, I, I thought that I picked a vocational degree. I picked a B.Ed. in drama. Uh, really, I, I think I was, I, I didn't come from a bohemian background. So half of me really wanted to do this drama degree. And, and the other half was, well, you know, you, you need a contingency plan. And I, I should have gone full out and did literacy, you know, a, a literature career, yeah. English lit. But um, as it happened, all the things that uh, life can be very strange, and sometimes you're heading that way, and it, it, it insists on patting you around the other way. Um, I, I it, the, the drama degree itself, um, I uh, I used to do a, an awful lot of. Um, we did a lot of cabaret there, you know, we loved cabaret, did a lot of uh, little shows and things, always writing little sketches, and poems and jokes and things, which ended up becoming my career because uh, I became a, a, a leading copywriter in the, the greetings card industry. None of that at the time um, was, was, you know, clear at all. Um, the drama gave me a lot of confidence. I never became an actress, but I do a lot of performing and love to perform um, when, when I, uh, I'm, releasing a book and go out on stage and talk to people, really built up my confidence, knocked all these very sharp edges off. Because university, of course, isn't just about the, the intellectual side. It's, it's you're growing in confidence, you're, in, um, you're developing your, your social skills. It's totally ruined me for having a cream tea anywhere else on this planet, going <laughs> down there. We used to go down to Newton Poppleford and, you know, one of our group had a car and we'd go down to Exmouth and the beaches and, and it was just, it was just a great experience. We, we did go back just um, the year before COVID with my friends. I'd not been back to Exeter and, and uh, the, the pals that I made there. It's one of those things, life gets in the way of living and you think we are going to go down. We're going to go down and we are going to relive our Exeter days. Went down, had a pint in the Black Horse and uh, walked around Luke's and, and we had a, a couple of days just going up to Lopez where I, I was, um, you know, my first oh, yeah. year, Accommodation. Yeah, where we all met. And it was it was joyous and thought, I am, I am not going to stay away from this place. Because they, you know, they were formative years for me. And I never realised until much later on how much I took away from Exeter with, with my career. And as I say, even, even though I never became a primary school teacher, you know, I, I do lectures and, and um, about creative writing and all that came in all of it was really useful to me yeah time I think oh, I picked the wrong course but I'm not sure I did I'm not sure I did and it was, um, it was a lovely four years it was great brilliant well you're welcome back anytime oh I'd love okay. to be honestly. glad to see you here we'll get the cream teas ready oh my goodness me <laughs> <laughs> but that's pretty good to know and I just wondered from there, obviously, you went on, as you said, and worked in greeting cards, didn't you, with Purple Ronnie? People yes. remember that with the little poems, yes. funny poems. How did you already know you wanted to be a writer way back then, or, or oh, did that sort of gradually yeah. develop? 
No, this this was um, I had a, this is a dichotomy really because I didn't think that working class girls who lived in um, you know in terraced houses got the sort of jobs I wanted. I wanted to be a novelist. I, I can't remember a time before I didn't have a book in my hand, and I wanted to write books that made other people feel the way I felt when I read books. It was always the one thing I wanted to do. Um, but um, I had a, a palette school who got all the literature awards. They were by default, she got them. And I was better at drama. And so I made that mistake of doing something that I was good at, not that I particularly wanted to do. You know, that's why I went down the drama route. I always wanted to write books. I didn't think we'd got those sort of jobs. I thought they went to people down in London. This is, you know, this is a sort of insular thought I had at the time. Um, and, um, and so there was a, a, a split part of me where one half was going, but you really want to write books. That's all you want to do. And the other half was, well, you know, are you sure that you, you could really do that? You don't come from that sort of background. You don't come from that sort of world. There was an inner war going on. And um, luckily, you know, one side won through, but it, it did take me a, a lot of years. Um, but I, I never wanted to do anything else. So when I left university, uh, I became a trainee accountant, which was probably the worst mismatched job in history. I went on to do jobs in offices. Nothing ever would fit apart from this one job. They were just jobs that I did to pay a mortgage while at home, I would sit down after work and try and write something and send it off and got rejected year after year. Um, but it was all I ever wanted to do, write books. All I ever wanted to do. So when was the first one? When was your sort of breakthrough? What happened? My breakthrough was um, I couldn't have written the sort of books that I write now had I not been kicked around the ring a few times, had some life experiences. My books are full of all the experiences, friendships and all the things that I've gleaned along the way in life. My big breakthrough came um, because I, I kind of embraced my, my Yorkshireness, if you like. I was, at the time it was the chiclet. I say chiclet um, because it, it was chiclet at the time. The books that were out there, the massive books were about women who um, were uh, living down in London, had jobs in PR, uh, 20-somethings. This was a world that meant nothing to me. I loved them, but I couldn't relate to them. And there were no books out there that I could see that really related to my life and circumstances. I didn't think that um, books set in the North would be that popular. So I, when I tried to write books, they were set in some kind of weird no man's land, as it were, which was neither South nor North, because I, I was trying to write books that weren't about the North, but I didn't know what living in London was like. So they, no wonder they were rejected because they were absolutely rubbish. Um, but I got pregnant at the same time of as two of my pals up in, in Barnsley, um, well, in Yorkshire, because uh, two of them worked from Barnsley. Uh, I was on the cusp of 40 and um, I, we, all, we went through our pregnancy journeys together when we'd given birth, we were sitting in my front room, we were talking about um, the, the journey through and how all the things that we thought would happen during pregnancy didn't. Um, I always felt it was like a club that you thought you knew what was happening inside the club, but until you were in the club, you had no idea. Mm -hmm. 
and, and then it was like, talks about it's like a, it's like a thunderbolt going off. It was like, why aren't you writing about this? This is the stuff you know. Yorkshire and friendships and jobs and the extraordinary things that happen within the parameters of ordinary life. And I started to write this story about three women um, from Barnsley who all got pregnant at the same time, sent it out to an agent who I'd been chasing for 15 years. And they rang me as soon as wow. they'd got it and said, this is the one we've been waiting for. And the rest is history. That's how I got my... Brilliant. So is that your sort of formula ever since, you know, to, to write about people that you know? I mean, obviously not necessarily people you have as friends, but, but you know, the places you know, the people you live with, grown up with, that sort of thing. Is that what works for you now? It's a starting point. It's a starting point. Um, but then, you know, it, it, there's, there's, a, there's a kind of myth that you only write about, you know, it's best to write about things that you know. Well, you'd be going around in circles. You have to keep widening your, your circle of experience. And then you can write about stuff that you know, because it's now you've learned about it and it's within your uh, circle of experience. But, you know, certainly one of the books that I wrote, The Magnificent Mrs. Mayhew, is about a politician. And, um, and I didn't know anything about politics, but I knew that I wanted to write about a politician's life and his wife. And so I had a crash course in politics um, to, to be able to write a story of this woman who is, who is in the world of politics. Um, and um, there, were, there were stories about, um, you say about, uh, we, we've talked about art, uh, life imitating art with uh, Tan Hill. The other, the reverse of that was one of the stories that I found in the Yorkshire Post about um, a village that came up for sale, West Hesleton, a few years ago, for 20 million pounds. This woman owned this village and charged the um, tenants peppercorn rents. Um, and I wrote a story about that because it was just weird. You know, if I'd thought about writing something like that, it would, it would have sounded too wacky, but it actually had its roots in fact. So it's a starting point. Sometimes I write about characters that I know, but by the end of the book, they've become their own people. So it's it's a mixture. It's a mixture, really. And can I ask how you describe yourself then? And we'll get on to a little bit about the whole idea of romance fiction. <coughs> romance so, writer? Well, I am a I'm a I'm a romantic, you know, I'm a romantic fiction writer. Um, I, I see nothing wrong in romance whatsoever. You know, it's it's the it's the stuff that makes the world go round. You know, we we all want love and romance and acceptance. So I'm I'm very very proud to say that I'm a I'm a romantic fiction writer. Because I know you've sort of been in the news a bit yourself recently with the with the whole um, idea of romance writers and whether they're included in the lists of certain publications at the end of the year when they do roundups. And I know one of the publications, when they bought out their list, you happened to be in the in the charts at that time, second in the charts. Yeah. But it was, wasn't on that list. Can you tell us a little bit? More it, was, it was bonkers. I, you know, my, my sales are, speak for themselves. You know, I don't need the extra press. But, you know, it's a, it's a matter of respect. For a long, long time, romantic fiction writers have been seen almost as lesser writers. We don't get the respect in the industry that crime writers would do or literary writers would do. We certainly would never appear on the Booker Prize lists. Um, there are industry awards which omit 
fiction, uh, romantic fiction writers. We, what, what triggered this off for me was I saw the roundups <clears throat> and I was, I was number two in the bestseller charts at the time. There was only Richard Osman in front of me. And I, I took a call on it. I thought, I'm number two. I won't be mentioned anywhere. Any other time, if I was a, a male writer, especially, because, you know, there is quite a lot of misogyny in our, in our, um, in our industry and a lot of prejudice. If I was a crime writer, I would have been mentioned, but not. And there was um, a fellow writer of mine at the time, Philippa Ashley, and the pair of us were in the top 10. And all the emphasis was on a book <laughs> about a sausage roll and one about um, having a poo whilst uh, doing a workout whilst you're having a poo on the toilet. So this was the massive... Um, it, it was a massive achievement for me getting to number two and there was yeah. no mention of it whatsoever. And I absolutely took a call on it that it was because I was a romantic fiction writer and Philippa also. And, um, you know, she, even she said, she said, we'll probably be looked at as, as quite literate next to these two books. And it, it just, I thought this is so unfair. It was, it was really shone a light on how little we are respected within the industry. Even though we are loved, uh, we underpin the, uh, the industry financially. Our sales are massive. Um, and yet we, are, we appeared nowhere in the roundups, the Christmas roundups. And we, you, you look at them and you think, who are these people writing these roundups, these recommendations for? Do their readers not only read literary and crime, as I do myself, but they also read romantic fiction? Why are these books not being advertised out there? And this week we have we have seen the effect of those roundups. The sales of these books have risen. And I thought, but we have missed out on the pickings there because those books could mm -hmm. have featured in those. They do feature, we have a lot of brilliant press uh, and magazines who do support us, but in the, in the Times and uh, in the, in the um, Mail, etc., the big roundups, we weren't there. And I felt very aggrieved for my peers um, who just and myself, you know, that we, we have been omitted and it, it's a blatant omission as well. And thought this is time for it to stop. This is time for this nonsense to stop. We do not let, write lesser books. Um, we, we are not gonna be labeled with the formulaic, these, um, because, you know, some crime is formulaic as well. To an extent, Miss Marple always gets the villain at the end, is that not, formulaic um even when you get positive reviews they're quite sniffy sometimes we get the chiclet the cheesy the frothy and i, I look at my books and, and those are my peers as well and think you know in our books we have um we we might give a happy hopeful ending absolutely nothing wrong with that at all but we make our readers work for that ending in our books there is domestic violence there's crime there's a lot of hard hitting issues and yet it seems that we are being judged on that last paragraph that last uplifting ending and you think what is wrong with a romantic you know we we are not ashamed of being romantic fiction writers so why is the industry ashamed of us it's got to stop it's got to stop are you encouraged by the fact that you've had got a lot of coverage about that over the last few weeks. I saw yesterday that you're in the bookseller and, and um, different places as well. Is, is that in itself encouraging? It's 
Well, you know, when I wrote the piece, it was, it was, I put it on a blog and I didn't realize how much it would fan a flame. Um, but, you know, there are, I just said what an awful lot of us are thinking. And, uh, and I did have a moment of thinking, oh, crikey, have I, have I stirred up something here? But it was something that definitely did need to get stirred up. You know, it's, it's something that has been going on for so long. And I, I think that the snobbery is ingrained. And, uh, and I think with a bit of work that um, with a, an industry that is, is box ticking and pride itself on trying to, to catch up with being inclusive where it hasn't been before, then they also need to include romantic fiction writers as well. I, didn't, I did say, and it needed to be said, excuse me. <coughs> and, um, and I'm glad I have, I'm glad I have said it because I haven't said anything that, as I said, didn't need to be said and is overdue. Um, I, I hope it makes a difference. I think it will be a very, very slow journey to get what we want. But there were enough of us to say, this really is enough now. You know, the roundups made it very clear that, the, the, um, that we were um, almost persona non grata within the industry. And it's, it's you know, we, we have the love and respect of our, um, of our readers. During the pandemic, so many people wrote to us and said, you've kept me sane. I've been at the bedside of my mom and, in, you know, and you, your books have, have kept me going. We've given you hope. Lots of people saying, I just couldn't read crime at this time. I've read your books and I've never read any before of yours. This is not just me. This is, this is all of us. Um, and uh, the, the figures soared, no mention of it whatsoever. And um, the, the figures speak for themselves. As I say, I, I've had the, the most enormous borrows from, from libraries and, and it's, it's the figures. And it, we, we don't need them, but it's a question of respect. And we should have that respect within the industry for the work we do as other genres do. We are no better than them, but we are certainly no worse. I was gonna say in a way, why does it matter what a few publications say when you've got lots and lots of book sales, lots of readers <laughs> seeking you and others out, um, lots of people writing into you and saying what impact your, your book has. But there's lots of different ways of finding out about books nowadays that we perhaps didn't have 10 years ago. Of, of course, I mean, Jenny Colgan, we were having a conversation with Jenny Colgan who said, you know, I, I mean, Jenny Colgan at this time was on the New York bestseller list. Um, a quarter of the charts were made up of women uh, romantic fiction writers. There's no mention of it at all. Jenny said, what would you rather have, the love of your readers and the sales or the, the exposure? And of course, it's always going to be the, the love of our readers, the popularity and uh, the fact that we know that we're doing the right thing. But as I say, it's, 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 a, it's a question of respect. Why should we not have the respect that other genres have? You know, that, that was my point at all. And, and also, as I've just said to you, um, about those roundups having an effect on sales figures. And I was very lucky during the pandemic because the, the book offerings shrank because um, they, they, the supermarkets wanted to fill their, their shelves with, with food, etc., and put people on the shelves that they knew would sell books. So a lot of my peers, didn't get into supermarkets that maybe should have had there not been a pandemic 
And those sales figures matter. We need to get into supermarkets mm. these days to sell books, you know, more than bookshops. And, and it had a knock-on effect. So the, the advertising there should have been for everybody because people who buy the, um, you know, the Times, the Guardian, the Independent, etc., are they saying that they don't read romantic fiction and only read lit and crime? No, they don't, because I read those papers and I write romantic fiction. I read literally, I read crime, I read biographies. And it, it should be, there should be room for everybody, you know? Everybody reads different things and, um, and our readers are discerning. And it's, it's also kind of insulting their readers. But by leaving us out, are they saying that our books aren't worthy? You shouldn't be reading those books. You should be reading these ones. Mm. You know, we've got discerning readers and uh, I, don't, I don't want my readers insulted. No. Looking at all of this, I mean, if you were a new writer starting out, yes, would you be encouraged to, to join the industry as a whole? Or, you know, what? how, how does it feel for... For new writers there's loads of competition out there but there are new, lots of opportunities as well don't necessarily have to go down the traditional publishing route anymore do you can self-publish and that sort of thing yeah. would you still do what you've done if you if you had your time again it's a vacation this and you know i i was aware of all the facts and things there was no when i started off the self-publishing was kind of akin to vanity press you know um it, there, there was there was not really an option I, I know a lot of my friends have made a, a, a lot of money and a, a lot of success by going down the self-publishing route and the hybrid route as well there, there is always that that it was either traditional route or kind of vanity press when I, I started out as it were you know paying someone to, to do my book so I I was aware that it would take me a long time which it did I was aware that every agent gets 300 submissions per week and will set on maybe five novelists per year. But if you want it enough, none of this is going to put you off. And I, I did want it very much. And I did land the big fish and I did make a success of my career. So if you are burning with ambition to write books, then you absolutely have to do it. You need two things, really. You need talent, you need some talent. Mm -hmm. And uh, you refine your craft, of course, you know, um, along the way, you know, you, you, you get better as you write. But if you have a modicum of talent and someone within the industry, and I don't mean your nana saying, <laughs> oh, this is fantastic. I mean, someone with, you know, some, um, some knowledge of the, the business and says, you know, you are a good writer um, and you have a backbone of iron and you really do need a backbone of iron then um, you and you want this career then you absolutely should throw everything that you've got at it it's it would be the worst career on the planet if you weren't 100% committed I, I, I think it would be off and don't go into it expecting to be a, a millionaire overnight um, you have to go into it for the love of it slow build your career or whatever but don't if, if you really want this job it's the best one in the world I think I, I love I love what I do and uh, don't be put off. Just, just, just go for it. If it's your dream to see your name on a book, you absolutely must go for it. What for you then is the the real love of it? What What's the best thing about being a best-selling author? Oh, there's there's a lot. I still have the pinch me moments. You know, I, I really do. I look at my books on the shelf and think, how have I written all those? 
And I like that because it keeps me grounded. Um, a woman once said to me in, a, 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 in a, an event, she said, oh, aren't you ordinary? And, uh, and I was delighted by that because it, it, it was meant as a compliment. And, and it's that very ordinariness that has, has kind of kept me grounded. It's kept my eyes on um, the observational humour that is around me. Um, and um, and I, I absolutely, I love what I do. I never plan anything. So I could sit there with a pad and have to plan out my book and I would be lost. But I start to write a story and, and I surprise myself with what comes out. Because so many times people say, I'd love to write a book, but I, I don't know where to start. And my stock answer is neither do I. And none of us realise what is inside us until we try and eke it out. It's a bit like magicians' um, handkerchiefs coming out of you. One thing brings onto, onto another and we never know what is it. And I love that. I love that. Um, the whole creative part of, of it. Um, I, 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 there is a magic to it, isn't there? There because is. When you write a story and you think, oh, you know, whether you plan it or whether you just go for it. Yes. Um, but partway through, it sort of takes a life of its own, doesn't it? And there's this real sort of magic to it. it becomes almost real. And your characters, you know, you might think I'm going to send character off to see someone on down down the road, and you think, no, 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 no. The character's taken over, and actually, they want to go that way. They're not going to go that way. And it's it's a strange thing, isn't it? But kind of magical thing when the book actually starts to have a life of its own and take over its own story, if you like. This is why it's lovely talking to another writer, because if you spoke to someone who wasn't and had that conversation, they think you were absolutely loop the loop, wouldn't they? When your characters are taking over your own book, you know, the lunatics are taking over the asylum sometimes, it feels like. But it is, it's weird and magical. And I, and, and, and yourself, you know, you, you love it when someone writes to you and tells you the effect of your book. We We write books to entertain. And you don't realise what people take from your books. It, it's a surprise. Some people will take, I've had this where I, people have written and said, I've left my husband. I didn't realise I was in an abusive relationship. And so I read the template, a fictional template of a woman in your book and realised, uh, just looking in, right, um, that I'm in the sort of relationship that is, is not healthy for me. Um, right. And... Um, so we write books to entertain, but people take so much more from them. They write and tell you about it. I'd like to take a punt and say that more people write to romantic novelists than, than any other genre to tell them the effect that they've had on their lives. And, and that is, is very special that you've changed people's lives mm. um, sometimes. And I've had letters where people have started up businesses because of something they've read in my book. Um, I keep all my letters and uh, run off the emails um, just in case somebody says, nah, that didn't happen. Yes, it did. Here you go. It's, it's, it's very nice. It's when very nice. Perhaps when you get stuck on something, it's always nice to look back on letters of encouragement or ways you've changed things as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know, look and, back and think, oh, you know, I can do this. Absolutely. And how can our books be lesser books if we have that effect on people? That's true. That's true. So what can I just say finally, what would your advice be then to any of our students at the university who are thinking to themselves, is this the, this is the career for me that I really would like to do? Is there one piece of advice you'd give them? There's not one. There's a, there's a few. 
Um, but I would read a lot, read a lot, read for pleasure because you absorb so much style, vocabulary, plots, etc. So read a lot. You, you, it's almost um, it, by osmosis that you will um, absorb um, essences of books, etc., which will which will help you um, read for analytically as well as for pleasure. Write as much as you can. Refine. The more you write, the more you will refine your craft. Um, also, um, things outside the box. Remember that the interns in the, the business of today are the, um, the commissioning editors of tomorrow. You know, be nice to people in the industry. Say thank you. Um, help up your peers. You know, it's not just a case of, well, I'm, I'm just promoting my books and nobody else. You know, there's, there's a, a lot to be said for goodwill in this, in this company. You can rise to the top without standing on people's heads. Um, but, you know, throw yourself at this. If you really want it, then you, you must have it because there is no feeling like your name on a book. And if one way doesn't work for you, you know, traditional might not. Self-publishing, it's a different set of skills. Um, traditional, you, you might get less money, but all your marketing, et cetera, is done for you and you'll get into supermarkets. Hybrid is, is also valid as is self-publishing. You, you have to find the, the, the way that works for you. And that is, there's one rule in, in, in publishing and that is that there are no rules. You know, if somebody says, this is, this is what you must do, ignore them because there is always an exception to the rule. Um, about, you know, oh, you shouldn't do, you shouldn't be writing adverbs. Um, you, you shouldn't plan your books, etc. When I was starting out and read all the how to write book books, I would have given up because no book that I saw there said, you know, you, you might just be a total maverick and uh, you, you might just not be able to plan and just sit there and write. You have to find your own way of, of writing and you will, you will, but it has to be yours. And if you want it enough, that I would always say, just keep going. Don't give yes, up. Don't stop. Don't stop. Um, if, as I say, if you've got a, a modicum of talent and someone has said to you um, that uh, you, you have, your writing is a publisher ability, but you need that backbone of iron. Um, you, you really do. Do not give up. That has been uh, one of those things. That I, I've turned positives, negatives into positives. I've not given up. Sheer bloody mindedness. Has, has carried me a long way. Um, and also as, as well, um, when you do get published, don't forget, I was guilty of this. It was like, I want to be in the national press, blah, blah. Never underestimate the, the power of your local press, of your local radio stations to promote you, uh, your local bookshops, etc. because doing that, the, the people of Barnsley and then the people of Yorkshire have built me this career. Um, never dish your hometown either. Never dish your hometown. Be proud of where you come from, um, wherever it is. You know, Barnsley gets a lot of bad press, etc., and it's a, a joke town to some. But my goodness, I the support I've had from Barnsley has been fantastic. And it, had I dissed Barnsley and then gone to them and said, "Please, can I have some advertising?" I know exactly what they would have said. So always, always be proud of where you come from, wherever it is, and let them be the wind beneath your wings. I'll end on a corny note there, but they really have been the wind beneath my wings and your hometown will help you out because they will be very proud of you and your achievements. Brilliant, fantastic advice. Millie, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your story of your career, but also so many pieces of advice that I'm sure writers out there of any age 
and at any stage in their writing journey will be able to make lots of use of. So thank you very much for joining us and we hope to see you back on campus very soon as soon as we're allowed. Absolutely, I hope so too. And thank you, it's been an absolute pleasure.